Great. Uh, let me introduce you to our illustrious panelists who really need no introduction, unlike some other people here like Elon Musk, who really needs to be labeled, uh, but for you know the 1% of people who don't already have these as household names, um, I would. it's my pleasure to introduce uh, first Eliezer Yudkowsky, who is the founder of the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, which does theoretical research on the safe development of artificial intelligence. Uh, Eliezer is known best in some circles for writing the cult classic fan fiction, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, which uh, just, just to give you a little context, uh, my organization, uh, Center for Applied Rationality, does workshops on training people in rationality skills. And uh, back when I was doing the admissions interviews, I did like 100 of these. And one of the questions I always ask people was, how did you get interested in rationality? And I kid you not, at least half of the people said, well, I found this Harry Potter fan fiction one day. And it talked about rationality. And it was so interesting that I started investigating the ideas. And now I'm super into rationality. So go figure. I don't know how much uh, of that was all part of some grand plan, but it seems to have worked out that way. Uh, anyway, um, on Eliezer's left is Professor Rob Reich, who is a professor of political science at Stanford University. Um, he's also the co-director of the Center on Philanthropy and Civil Society and director of the Center for Ethics and Society. And Rob also frequently writes about philanthropy and uh, sometimes about effective altruism in publications like the New York Times and the Boston Review. And to say what's obvious now, I'm not the former labor secretary. Right. <laughs> Yet. Growth mindset. Right. <laughs> Uh, and last but certainly not least, we have Tim Urban, who got his degree from Harvard and then uh, founded the website Wait But Why, where he is a writer and illustrator. Wait But Why is, uh, it's, it's a little hard to describe, it's uh, long form articles plus diagrams and pictures um, that are si about artificial intelligence, psychology, philosophy, um, technology, life, the universe and everything. Um, and and they managed to be simultaneously packed with uh, information and insight and also super catchy and viral, which is not an easy combination to hit at once. Uh, Tim, according to his website, uh, his areas of specialization include drawing stick figures at a fourth grade skill level, uh, which used to say second grade skill level, which was crossed out and now says fourth grade. So I guess your art has improved, which congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> So we're going to kick things off by inviting each of our panelists to do a, an up to five minute introduction, um, either to their work in communications um, or to a particular topic in the space of communications that they happen to be uh, particularly interested in right now. Um, and then after that, we will uh, launch into discussion. Yeah. I need to like put something up on that screen somehow, uh, so like someone else can go first while I figure out how to do that. Sounds That's good. Right. Do we have a person who knows anything about AV? Yeah. Cool. Why don't you consult together? And uh, Rob, do you want to start things off? Sure. I'm going to stand up because I I teach classes. I'm used to standing up in front of groups. Is that all right? Sounds okay. good. For, for just a couple minutes to speak. Um, so uh, you might think um, correctly that as my work experience is, is uh, teaching classes at a university, I teach both graduate classes and undergra undergraduate classes, 
And the main thing I want to say to you today is that I think when it comes to communicating complex ideas and concepts, the EAA community treats virtually all of its communications as if we were all in an advanced graduate seminar and is generally awful at engaging well-motivated but beginner um, undergraduates as the equivalent. So I want to assume as the audience then that we wish to communicate to, if I want to you know, make myself a member of the tribe, um, a well-motivated uh, undergraduate beginner audience and then posit the things I have to say with that as the background. We're all pretty good at communicating to the advanced graduate seminar. So just by way of illustration, I'm wearing a GiveWell t-shirt. I serve on the board of GiveWell. I'm obviously a fan of what GiveWell does, but their blog posts assume an <laughs> unbelievable level of um, academic competence to figure out exactly what's being communicated. If you were someone, as I often do tell undergraduate students, go check out what GiveWell's recommendations. Sure, you can get the rank ordering and understand these three charities, but if you want to understand the reasoning and you thought the blog posts were the main method of taking that on board, you have to go get a PhD in economics to begin to understand some of that. And that's a mistake, I think, um, not necessarily of GiveWells, but of the EAA community in general. So here's my background sort of pedagogical thought with respect to how to engage an undergraduate audience, or for that matter, even an advanced audience. But nevertheless, here's what I, what I aim to do. You have to understand something about where their heads are. There's a fancy term for this. You want to engage the zone of proximal development, which is to say, you can't begin to teach effectively unless you have a sense already about where students' heads are. And then you, what you want to do is you want to nudge them to a space of what I call productive discomfort. You want to have pressed them enough to be, begin to become uncomfortable with their own internal values, expectations, reflect on their behavior, and to think there's some gap now between what they're being shown or argued and what their lives are actually like, but not so uncomfortable that they flee from you and never return. Um, so, you know, I could give you the historical explanation for this. My, my model, if you will, is Socrates, who went around looking to engage people in uncomfortable conversation. Of course, his story doesn't end well. They eventually put him to death because it was so uncomfortable for enough people that it became a problem. Um, you have to figure out a way to engage people so that they're productively uncomfortable, not unproductively uncomfortable. So, um, a few things which I've just picked out of my, you know, sort of casual tour around the EA community that I would argue against. I feel like a skunk at the party here a little bit already, but if we're about complex communication, uh, communication complex ideas, I think this needs to be said. All right, so lesson number one, point number one, um, stop for an undergraduate beginner audience a kind of cultish obsession with rank ordering the goodness or badness of a set of acts we already conceive to be as good things. So... Is it, is it really necessary to engage a beginner audience by trying to argue whether or not donating a kidney altruistically to a stranger is better than adopting 20 children, as Larissa McBarker just, just described, or to give money to give Wells three recommended charities? All three of those things are really, really good things to do. And engaging an undergraduate audience, a beginner audience, with saying it's really important to figure out how to rank order them is going to be hugely alienating and a mistake. Second point, here's a kind of ordinary insight. Um, it's really good about rationality. Rational argument has to rest at the base of anything that um, is productive discussion, in my view, certainly in a classroom setting. But nevertheless, story and narrative is essential to that in an ongoing conversational context. So I'll posit to you that if you think about 
who's had a greater effect in mobilizing as a movement more people, Michael Pollan or Peter Singer in the, the book about food, Michael Pollan wins by a long shot, even though the philosophical argument, with some modest differences, is expressed most clearly by, um, uh, by Singer. Um, to continue my role as a skunk of the party, if Will McCaskill is in the room, apologies to him. I've just met him for the first time. I will predict um, Will McCaskill, um, McCaskill's new book, which I had, um, but is now in the back of the room. You all have two, I'm sure. Will be less effective in mobilizing a broad community than Larissa McFarker's book, which is due to come out next month. Partly, Larissa is just a fantastic writer, but she's writing in a way trying to engage people who um, aren't initially looking for rational arguments about rank ordering the best acts that they could do. Third point, um, there's a tendency with this undergraduate audience to engage them as if all of human life is an optimization problem. And what you're trying to do is solve for maximal efficiency in all of your activities. <laughs> Your ordinary person just does not think like that. And <laughs> yeah, I'm not against the approach. So this is, this is not a criticism. It's a criticism only if you think leading with that to an undergraduate audience, a beginner audience, is going to have huge take up. It'll have huge take up in a grad student community, the EA community, not within a broad community that you're looking to draw on board. All right, fourth and, and um, finally. Um, a familiar thing, one thing I think that in particular both Will McCaskill's book and any um, um, broad-minded EA is good at doing is not erecting a kind of wall between reason and emotion. Um, it's absolutely both philosophically possible, morally commendable, um, and humanly understandable to be extremely passionate and moved emotionally by what you're committed to rationally. And so insofar as one of the messages of, of EA is reason should sub, you know, basically um, cabin and suppress our emotion, I don't think that's either a good communication strategy or, for that matter, philosophically correct and defensible. I'll stop there. Excellent. Thank you, Rob. All right. Hello. I'm going to just stay seating here, and I also... I probably should have made slides, but I didn't. So I'll just tell you what they would have said. Um, so um, when, uh, yeah, when, when Julia reached out and, uh, and asked me to be on a panel about communi communicating complex concepts, um, I started by just thinking, okay, so as far as you know, my own experience doing so, why do I do it? What's the goal? What's like the good that can come out of it? And how do I do it? What, when I've been most effective, what am I doing that's effective? And when I have missed the mark, why? So, I, I, you know, I would have two slides. The first one would say, um, more awareness equals good. Um, and so that's kind of my, like, why communicate complex concepts reason. And um, what I mean by that is I, 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 um, I wrote one post on this kind of framework for thinking that I'm working on as a human that, um, that kind of breaks down awareness or different, you know, different semantic you know, wording you can use. You can say levels of consciousness. You can say uh, 
um, you know, levels of knowledge, but whatever it is, I'm calling it awareness, that di there's actually distinct levels of awareness that any human can be on. And, and awareness means self-awareness, awareness of history and science and the context and what's happening in, in the time we're living, what the time we're living, the context around it, and, and what role it plays in the broader time, and the, what are the implications of the things that are happening in the time we're living. Um, so that kind of awareness, and to me, more of that is going to make the world a better place. I think it's pretty, it's one of the most surefire ways to improve the world is to build awareness in that, in, in that way. And I think that the opposite is, you know, an example of, of how of this, this concept is the opposite of awareness, is ignorance and delusion. And I think we can all say that a lot of the bad in the world bad things that happen come from ignorance and delusion. And uh, truly uh, clear-headed people that are seeing the world for what it is and understand the context, I think are much more likely to do good. And I think in that way, altruism is actually a byproduct of awareness more than a, like a, a, a cause in itself. It's an effect of, um, of, of increased awareness. It's... Um, it's to me a it's it's like you know it's a symptom of something that that uh, that you need to be actually going to uh, to the roots of in order to to build that altruism. So I, I use you know Elon Musk as an example. There's no one in 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 my experience that is more clear-headed than Elon Musk. I think that part of his genius is that he is he just has an an unusual way of just seeing everything for exactly how they are down to the first principles and, and understanding where it all fits in and seeing the big, big, big picture. His, you know, if it's concentric circles, his circle's very, very large. So of course he's living his life in an altruistic way because once you get to that level, there's, it's very obvious. It becomes the only logical thing to do when you're that clear-headed. And so, so someone who's thinking so clearly, he says, well, we probably should make human life multiplanetary because uh, we're going to go otherwise we're all in one basket here all the eggs are in one basket he can just see that so clearly so obviously he would do the right thing there and uh and and so so that's i guess the the starting point for me is just you know as a, as a blogger one thing i can do to help I, I don't i wouldn't say that the point of wait but why is altruism necessarily but i think that one way it can be altruistic is it can help build awareness and and uh and that can lead other people to uh to maybe uh act more altruistic. Uh, and, and, and so the uh, second slide would say, uh, would, would, would get to um, how I try to do it, how I try to communicate ideas in order to build awareness. And that slide would say, target yourself. And so what I mean by that is, I think that it's, you know, as far as how to get ideas across and how to motivate people or how to do anything you're trying to do to affect other people, um, I think it's a real nice thing to know that there's 7.3 billion people, which means that um, that there's all different kinds of people. And the fact is, you know, yes, you're all special snowflakes, you're all unique, but there's also kind of like 100,000 duplicates of each of you like out there in the world. <laughs> and that's that's a fact that I've really absorbed where I, I feel like I'm writing for a bunch of Tims. And that's, that's the approach I take. So I don't need any focus group or anything like that to say, how do I get this across? I, I looked in my own head and I said, well, how do I understand it? What's confusing to me? And there are my, my answers are right there. Um, and so the, you know, one of the best compliments I can get about a post is when someone says, oh, this guy's in my head. You're in my head. I said, no, I'm in my head and you're just me. Um, <laughs> 
And, and, you know, it's those times when I've dug deep into my own psychology that I find I can make, I really, you know, it's like you get 10x the impact when someone's like, oh my God, he's saying exactly what I think versus when someone's like, oh, that's an interesting point of view. And the way you get to that, oh my God level is just by, you know, figuring out what's going on in your own head because that's how you understand what's going on in so many others. Not that everyone, everyone is me. It's just that 7.3 billion people, there's a lot of people that are, and I can start there. There's, you know, if I affect that many people out there, that's a great, great start. That's the low-hanging fruit. That's where I know how the Tims out there, I know what their insecurities are, what their fears are, what excites them. I know what makes them tick. So that's what I do. And, and as a blogger, when you do that, a blog becomes like flypaper, no matter what you do. And it, 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 the flies that stick to the, to the blog and end up coming back are the ones that happen to like it, happen to like what you're writing. So you'll end up collecting all of the U's out there by, by being authentic. And 30 more seconds. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I told her to yank me off. I also, but the one who, by the way, told her to say that we need no introductions. And that was um, <laughs> my request. Um, anyway, so I, 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 <laughs> I've had a chance to write about artificial intelligence. And recently I've had a chance to work with Elon Musk and write about his stuff. And, and I just see my role is to look at those things and say, uh, I've been hearing a lot about it. I wish I knew more. Okay, that tells me that all the Tims out there have been hearing a lot about it. They all wish they knew more. This is, wow, this is mind-blowing. Okay, they're going to find this mind-blowing. And that's the approach I take, and I go from there. Excellent. New life hack I just learned. You don't actually have to make slides. You can just describe what they would have looked like. <laughs> It'll save me so much time. All right, so Eliezer has a somewhat different kind of presentation, I think. All right, so let's hope that I can figure out how to... Swap this thing? Okay, you'll swap it back. All right, excellent. Okay, so uh, when I, so like last night, um, I asked my wife Brienne, like, which of these like 15 different things should I try to cover in my in my five in my uh, five minute opening talk? She was like, pick one thing that people will be able to do at the end of your talk that they couldn't do before, um, and have them practice it during the five minute talk. So. The thing that I've picked is the ideological Turing test invented by Brian Kaplan. This is because your ability to put yourself into other people's minds, not your mind where you already know the arguments and what you think is the conclusion, people who haven't heard the arguments, people who haven't arrived at the same conclusion, and put yourself into their heads and imagine what they think of your words is a base level skill that all other communication calls upon. It's not the only skill, but it's like an extremely basic skill. One way of testing whether you have, are as smart or as like otherwise contained something inside yourself is to see whether judges can tell the difference between something you wrote pretending to be, uh, I don't know, someone who like, believes that all money should be donated to symphony orchestras um, versus like your actual self. See if a, a judge can tell who's the real person who believes this and who's faking it. That's the ideological Turing test. Um, and unfortunately, the URL isn't show, showing properly, but it's blacker.caltech.edu slash ITT. So I want everyone with a computer or cell phone to go to blacker, B-L-A-C-K-E-R, dot caltech.edu slash ITT and spend three minutes pretending to be someone who believes the opposite of whatever you believe about option one, astronomical stakes, Option two, animal altruism. And we're not going to do it during this episode, but like afterwards, you can come back to this page and 
look and try to judge the entries and see like how you can do at distinguishing people who actually believe something from people who are just pretending to believe it. I, 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 I think I, I want everyone to practice writing something that they disagree with, and I already had some other people no, I already had some other people add entries that they agree with. So also in three. All right. Uh, Blacker.caltech.edu slash ITT. All right. Go. All right. Down pencils or equivalent thereof. If it was like totally incomplete, you can like come back after the talk, finish your entry, see what's already there, and see if you can tell the difference between like the ones that I had seated that are like true positions versus like the ones that were submitted here. And <laughs> besides the like base skill that you all hopefully just like tried to use, the other lesson is um, like to convey a complex concept, you sometimes have to convey a skill. To convey a skill, you have to give people a way to practice it. Nice meta message there. Very appropriate for the group. Thank you, Eliezer. So, uh, and you'll, you'll have the results up here if people want yeah, to go see how they... Yeah, you can go to judge entries and review submissions. Great. You probably have that taken down so people aren't tempted to... Thanks. To do it right now. Thank yeah. you. So, uh, all of us uh, in different ways, all of our panelists have touched on the idea of um, understanding or misunderstanding. And this is a topic that's been on my mind a lot um, as I, uh, so I, I do a lot of communicating as well or trying to communicate. Um, and this, this one study keeps coming back to my mind. Uh, it's a study from, I think, 1990 or thereabouts. Um, and a psychologist um, split people into two groups and asked uh, people in the first group to pair up with someone from the second group. And she gave them a song like Happy Birthday or Old MacDonald Had a Farm or something like that and asked them to tap the song to their partner. So like, uh, let me try to do one. Um, I don't know if any of you could hear that. No? All right. Well, those in the front row. Did anyone know what song I was? Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, no. That was the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, so uh, this is a representative case because uh, only about one in 40 of the listeners could guess what song was being tapped. Um, and she also asked the tappers to guess, uh, what do you think are the chances your partner will get the song right? And the uh, average probability they stated was 50%. So um, that's uh, quite a disparity there. And the principle it's illustrating, or the phenomenon, is that when you have the song in your head, like I'm hearing Star Spangled Banner as I'm tapping, um, it's really hard to, to imagine what that tapping sounds like to someone who isn't hearing the same song in your head. And I think this is, this is a, great, um, a great metaphor, uh, it's barely even a metaphor, for communication in general of concepts or, or you know, arguments. Uh, and, and so I often, I'm, I'm curious actually to hear how Tim's going to answer this question because I find that when I assume my audience, or even when I have good reason to believe my audience thinks similarly to me, there are all these misunderstandings I never would have predicted. Uh, like, well... Uh, plenty of, of jokes that I make that people don't realize are jokes. You know, I, I say something like, uh, well, none of this matters anyway, because probably the singularity will happen tomorrow. And some people think I'm not joking. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, or I just, you know, miss, 
estimate the position that people started out from. And so I failed to nudge them in the right direction. Like I was, uh, I was giving an informal talk about vaccines and autism. Uh, and I was, uh, I was saying how, you know, it's such a travesty because so many children's lives and health are at stake. Um, and this guy in, in my audience was vociferously agreeing with me and he was saying, Oh, it's just terrible. You know, uh, that the, like, the irresponsibility, the immorality involved. And I was like, oh, yes, it's absolutely terrible. I completely agree. And and eventually he said, yeah, and, and you know, can you believe the cover-up that's happening among the pharmaceuticals? And I was like, yeah, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized we'd been uh, coming at this from totally different sides of the, uh, of the debate. So anyway, the, the question that I want to start with uh, could be either, um, what kinds of misunderstandings have you encountered when you've tried to get your message across um or if you like you could you could answer what kinds of misunderstandings do you think ea uh the effective altruist movement has uh run up against or or uh is running up against so feel free to jump in anyone who has thoughts um okay um i I love the happy birthday star single banner thing i think it's a great metaphor for um there, you know, there's some people that just have a talent for teaching. Um, I'm sure as a professor, uh, you're constantly having to think about what they're hearing with the tapping and not what you already know because you know so much more than your students. Um, so the way I would say, I mean, if you look at, the, if you've ever been on Wait But Why and you look at the comment section, not everyone agrees with me, for sure. Um, but that's not really what I'm concerned about. It's much more this happy birthday thing. I, I'm, the, I, I go back to the still, I'm still writing for a bunch of me's, but the way I deal with the fact that I know more than my readers in certain areas um, is by thinking about, I actually have access to lots of Tims. I have access to 29-year-old Tim, 25-year-old Tim, 21-year-old Tim, 5-year-old Tim. Those, I dig into those people, too. To, so, for example, with AI, I knew nothing about it other than, you know, what the, just the, you know from watching movies. So when I researched that, all I had to do when I was writing that is remember what Tim three weeks ago thought and write for him. I'm writing to that guy who, before I researched. But when I, I'm right now I'm writing about SpaceX, and, I'm, and I just did a section on all the planets. And I knew the diameter of Mercury when I was three because I'm obsessed with planets. So there I had to dig into, you know, a long time ago, the kind of thing that would have blown my mind when I was seven, um, because I happen to know. But I, So the key for me is calibrating where, understanding, uh, you know, being able to picture what an, uh, an average curious person would, where, where they would be, and then where I am, and being able to know how much higher or lower, and then dig into a Tim back when I was there. And that's the way I deal with it. Um, but I think being aware of that is is incredibly important. And I've missed it sometimes. And, and that's what does help just getting a proofreader, someone saying, I, I, you lost me there. And my immediate reaction is always like, no, you're dumb because I'm all like, attached to my writing. And then I'm like, <laughs> no, okay. You know, if they said that, that's not just them. They're thinking that I probably missed the mark. So. And we only have one mic between the three panelists, so you'll have to pass it along. So what I think of as sort of like the second phase of my attempt to write popular science um, began in, I think it would have been 2003 or thereabouts, where I was like discoursing on the wonders of Bayes' theorem and how does the secret of the universe in an IRC channel. And like a person I knew um, who'd like been sort of like hanging out with like the uh, mailing list I was on was like, yes, yes, secret of the universe, wonderful, wonderful. And then like a bit later on, like I tried to like ask him how to use Bayes' theorem to apply like um, the probability that something is a banana given that it's yellow. And they didn't know how to like distinguish between probability of banana given yellow and probability of yellow given banana. 
And that was when I like, suddenly had this epiphany. I realized why schools existed and homework. It wasn't just a credentialing filter mechanism. Like, there was actually a point to all the homework. And I set out on my like, next journey to like, explain Bayes' theorem so well that an eighth grader could understand it and failed miserably. Um, and the like, next iteration of that, like, I like, had some people like, to act as graphic artists and was like, trying to build this, like, okay, like, this time for real, like Bayes' theorem. I wasn't really aiming at eighth graders anymore, but like med students. I can at least get med students to understand Bayes' theorem this way. <laughs> Um, and like I had a test reader, and like every time I showed it to the test reader, like I needed to expand a new section, and the whole thing like got larger 